Hey everyone, welcome to episode 153 of the MTG Grindcast, the spikiest podcast in all of Central North Carolina. We are your hosts, I'm Chris Castor-Apple, joining me for the first time in a permanent role. It's the first true Lee episode. The first Lee episode. We've had Lee episodes, but this is, you know... This is a step up. Yes. This is the Lee beginning. This is the big league. Oh. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. I told you not to use that one. You didn't. <laughs> I should have. You should have anticipated me. <laughs> Honestly, yes. Playing you like this. I'm sorry, Lee, but there might be a lot of that going forward. Uh, it's That's my whole life, so. <laughs> so, Lee, you're here. Welcome. Thanks. I drove a big five minutes down the road. I don't mean here physically i mean we're doing this podcast together um sadly collins has you know moved on to different things in his life he is moving forward and magic is not going to be his main focus and i really appreciate the fact that you have stepped up and want to kind of join me on this Uh, i think that i'm really excited for what we can do going forward yeah i really enjoyed the other ones i did like the like six or seven i think that i've done <laughs> you're definitely our most frequent guest in the past so that's because i employed the magic cheat codes of saying hey chris can i just be on the podcast this <laughs> yes, week so it was pretty effective and i don't think anyone really did that <laughs> right no you usually have to ask other people to be on the podcast so yeah that's how you sneak in yes just it's, it's not that complicated honestly no uh, although i have kept Elliot has asked a couple of times, or at least intimated, like, what do I have to do to be on the podcast? And I have jokingly told him, you gotta win the next Open. And that hasn't happened, unfortunately. Well, there are no more Opens, so... And, yeah, so I... Does it have to be, like, an online tournament now? I don't know. Yeah, he's gotta win... Well, the it, SCG online Opens? Yeah, it can't even be, like, the Qualifier Weekend, because those are those are too small. Those are 1Ks or whatever. Yeah. Or $1,000 to first place. It's so, gotta be so. the big one. Yeah, it's gotta be the really hard one that is, like... That has PV in the top All page. Platinum Pro... <laughs> yeah, all people at, like... Like, like MPL level or powerful SCG grinder in the top eight. So tough, tough days to be Elliot Darrow if you want to be on the podcast, I guess. You really just had to sneak in in the sweet spot of 2018-ish. Mm. Speaking of sneaking in at the sweet spot of 2018-ish, it's actually not time to transition to our MPL <laughs> conversation yet, but uh, we are going to talk about that. Today, I think we're going to talk about, first, you know, for our listeners that are not super in tune with the uh, MTG Grindcast cinematic universe. I think we should introduce you and like talk about your magic history and sort of why, you know, you're going to be on the show and why I want you here and stuff like that. Um, and then obviously we have bannings to talk about, and then we have a big organized play announcement to talk about. So probably not going to get too deep into any substantive, like, deck list dives or anything like that but a lot of stuff yeah there's a <laughs> and the mpl announcement even just came out like a couple hours ago for once before recording <laughs> the pot we don't have to be a week late on this we can yeah. be on it well there's gonna be more announcements throughout the week yeah which <sighs> you know of course but <laughs> yeah well yeah we'll complain about that at length when it's time when it's time <laughs> but first positive stuff Lee, what, so I guess if we want to talk about like your magic history a little bit and maybe the kinds of decks and strategies you have leaned towards in the past and, you know, just any, anything about your magic history you want to talk about to sort of let our listeners get to know you a little bit. Well, I've been playing magic for almost as long as you have. 
I've been playing for most of my life. I've been playing since the original Mirrodin block. Mm-hmm. So, and I didn't play a lot before probably like actual Ravnica. I was just like collecting cards and playing casually. Sure. And I'm like a good and bad casual <laughs> because I, I like really have fun with the game. I don't take it too seriously mm-hmm. when I'm playing, even if it's like a competitive setting. Yeah. But I don't like playing the like fair strategies you see a lot of casual groups like a lot of people get mad at me because i like found a convoluted way to get infinite turns and the game was over and then i just didn't want to get played with anymore (laughs) (laughs) and that was like a lot of the decks i liked building so then i just like transitioned to tournaments yeah (laughs) and those decks were god awful in tournaments so i eventually had to find out the decks i still liked playing but were still good in tournaments, mm. which ended up just being combo decks. Yeah. The first one I played in tournament was like Heartbeat of Spring combo mm. from Kamigawa Ravnica era. Yeah, one of the more complicated mm. decks of that era that you could sort of find at the time. Yeah, and that was like the first deck I ever tried to play competitively. Sure. It was just like the most interesting one. Because mm-hmm. that's that's like how I always have approached Magic. I just want to have fun playing the games. Mm-hmm. And a lot of the time, like, I, I, I always use Jund as an example because it's the classic. Everyone knows what you're talking about when you say Jund. You're just the fair deck. You do your thing. Mm-hmm. It's powerful. But you have a lot of play to it. Yeah. That deck bores me so much. <laughs> <laughs> it's it's just... I, I make so many mistakes doing it. And I don't ever feel like I'm having fun. I'm just, like, playing my cards. Mm-hmm. I, I really like crafting all these intricate things and building something and then winning with that all all at once okay like I, oh one of the uh times on the mana traders i think mm-hmm. uh coverage we were doing collins talked and me talked about this and i was just like i like the sub game where you're you're just playing back and forth with your opponent and then when the sub game ends the game is over and sure. that's like comboing off <laughs> yeah yeah but you're like accruing little advantages and like putting game pieces into spots where you need them to turn a top deck into a win or something like that. Yeah. Yeah. Because a lot of the times, everyone plays these sub games in all the games of Magic. But when you're playing the sub games with Jund to get those advantages, your reward is like, now you have a Broodmate Dragon in play mm-hmm. and you're really far ahead, but your opponent can just play a Baneslayer Angel or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Or if we're talking about the Jund that everybody knows. Like, sure. Yeah. Now you have a Liliana, but, you know, your they draw top- two, two lightning bolts in a row and you die. Like, yeah. Yeah. I, I like winning the sub game. And that wins the game. Yeah. And that's why I really like engine decks way more than card A plus card B combos. Right. Like, I I played Splinter Twin for a really long time, for like two or three years while it was in vogue. Mm -hmm. Uh, And it was really good. That's why I played it. But I had played only Storm before then in Modern. Sure. Before they banned cards from it, like, on three different occasions. (laughs) (laughs) Because that's just the more interesting deck to me. You just, like build up all your resources, and then kill them. Splinter Twin, you just wait and wait. And and for a very recent example, like, you're a Breach player and not an Inverter player. Right, yeah. Probably best known for playing a lot of KCI and beating a lot of people with KCI and writing up a very useful guide to that deck not too long before it ended up getting banned, but still very useful leading up to that ban. And that, 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 like, KCI thing... Like really shows what I value in Magic. Because mm-hmm. A, I just love playing that deck. It was like everything I want to be doing. You're just always sequencing and then they lose yeah. eventually. Uh, but I, I wrote the guide to KCI because everyone was just always complaining about 
the deck being too complicated or not knowing how to play against it. Yeah. That guide was secretly just a guide how to play against KCI. Oh, I used it specifically. Like, my my reading of the guide was entirely, like, how, which sideboard slots are the most useful, like, in Phoenix against that deck? Like, what is the best way to beat it? How should I be boarding? And, you know, I did okay against KCI beforehand, and then after we talked about the matchup and stuff, my win rate against KCI was... I mean, small sample size, but I pr- I lost to it like you know, like 20% of the time or something like that. Like, I was beating it a lot after talking with you about KCI and how it worked. Yeah, and I, I wrote that thing because there's a lot of misconceptions revolving around it. And I've always liked content creation in Magic. I used to do videos a long, long, long time ago for a website that doesn't exist anymore. <laughs> I, I won't go too much into that. But I I really liked putting out, like, content for people, even though I'm not, like, the greatest player. I, if, like, I, I don't make, like, insane streaks at SCG Opens or on the Pro Tour or whatever. Well, you also go to an Open every once in a while, you know? But, yeah, that's true. I don't... I don't... Magic's my hobby. I'm not trying to, like, job it. Sure. So when I go to PTQ, I'm playing for fun, primarily. Mm-hmm. I want to win, because I'm at a tournament. Yeah. But it's... I don't put in a ton of work, like prep work beforehand. Like I remember last summer we went to a PTQ. You weren't at this one actually. It was me and Collins, and we actually played in the top eight. I crushed him because I was playing KCI, mm-hmm. and then I just scooped to him because I I didn't care about the qualification. But Collins, it meant something to have at that time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and I think that in general, like your. I mean, in particular, the like combo player perspective is something that will be helpful for this podcast because I don't really have that perspective. I tend to shy away from, in general, decks that... Like, my dislike of playing decks that are vulnerable to Haymaker hate cards has generally led me away from combo decks in a lot of formats just because I don't like my opponent casting Stony Silence and I'm just like okay, I've got four outs in my deck, and if I don't draw them, I don't do anything for the rest of the game. A lot of people say that, but they never think about the flip side when your opponent has a Doom Blade in their hand, and it yeah, just doesn't no, do no. anything. I know, I know. <laughs> but the Stony Silence, like, the Doom Blade can happen a bunch of times in the tournament, and then you get your wins. The Stony Silence thing happens three times in a tournament, and you're like, well, can't top eight this tournament anymore. It, it's it's a more of a, a feel thing than an actual game win percentage thing. Okay. It just feels too bad. But that's, you know, that's a leak that I have that has led me to not be super in tune with, you know, combo decks at every moment of their viability. And so I appreciate you coming in here and bringing that perspective that I just don't have. Oh, speaking of that, you know, one of my favorite decks in around Rivals of Ixalan was the a Blue-Red God Pharaoh's Gift deck. Sure. Like, I, I had worked on this deck pretty much since Rivals of Ixalan came out, mm-hmm. and... It was really good. I like really liked it. I kept doing really well with it, but I really only played local events. Yeah. There weren't any SCG opens in standard at the time mm-hmm. and all that. So I went to a IQ, maybe. Maybe it was BTQ. I don't remember. Uh, and I crushed the tournament. I XO'd Drew, then XO'd the, the top eight. And the person I played in round one was the same person I played in the finals. Okay. <laughs> so after I beat him in round one... He was he was upset. 
because he was like he'd never seen the deck before because mm-hmm. it wasn't popular. This was before before like blue white God Pharaoh's gift was a thing. No, no, no. This was it was after that. It was actually oh, it was the weekend before Grand Prix DC. Okay, that blue white God Pharaoh gifts have like four or six copies in the top eight. Sure, like it, it was very clearly a good deck, but no one had like played it. Okay, and I, I was playing it, so I was like in tune with this sort of stuff, mm-hmm. and. After I beat him in the round one, he was like, oh, this is horrible, That you just got very lucky, I can't believe it, I've never seen this deck before, that sort of thing. And then I beat him again in the finals, he's like, okay, maybe you're onto something. <laughs> yeah, and it is usually only combo decks that lend themselves to that sort of, like, I broke it and ran through a tournament with this thing. It's hard to do that with a counterspell deck or a Jun deck or even an aggro deck. Yeah. You, you have to have something, like, special. Right. And usually everyone knows about all the nor- the conventional means of winning the game. Right. And, yeah, because special usually means, and this is a big part of winning at Magic, is lining your cards up so that your opponent's interaction doesn't matter. And yeah. played against a lot of Silent Grave songs in that tournament. Yeah. Which do not do anything against Godfrey's Gift. Nope. <laughs> it doesn't target. No, it does not target. <laughs> My, my, I even had a Godfarrow's Gift in play. The judge ruled against me for Silent Gravestone not working, and I said, read this card, please. <laughs> <laughs> and then won the judge call. <laughs> oh. That is the hidden risk of playing unknown combo decks. <laughs> is dealing with the the early judge calls I, I have Kark yeah. Clan Ironworks. I had the Mirror Retriever loop ruled against me Ugh. in the and, and granted it was very early. It was before Matt Nass had even top eight a GP with it. Mm-hmm. And I wasn't even sure if I could do it because it was so weird. Yeah. But I like thought of it and I'm like, I'm pretty sure I can do this. I'm not positive though, so I'll call a judge and ask him and I'll believe whatever he says. Right. And it was just the wrong ruling that was given. But I just assumed it was the correct ruling because wait, was that the full on? It was like, the I'm I'm like using part, an using it as mana. Yeah, yeah. It was a mana window thing. Right, right. With mirror retriever, and I just called the judge, and he gave the wrong ruling. And I'm like, that must be the right one. I've never heard of. <laughs> yeah, it before. I was <laughs> completely prepared to defer to you on this because who knows? And it turns out it was just wrong, like a month later. Right, but it it is one of the weirdest things to have had a significant like presence in competitive magic like one of the weirder rules interactions and honestly i think a reasonable contributor to the decision to ban like the deck was too good but also it just like did a thing that if you did it against somebody who'd been playing for a year they'd be like well you're just cheating right now yeah this is not even a thing what are you talking about this, this game doesn't make any sense so you're clearly not even playing the right game yes It does. It does feel like that at some like w- against, like like how could you ever explain to a twelve year old what these cards are doing? You you just like you couldn't. No, but the sad part is when you're going off with one of those weird engine combo decks. Mm-hmm. The words you're saying almost don't even matter as mm-hmm. long as they're like approximate what's going on. Because I find that people usually just believe me. <laughs> no matter what I'm saying, as long as it feels like it should work. Sure. And even with Casey, I had the weird mana thing. People, you, you don't just make that stuff up. <laughs> right. That's true. That would be a tough one to just conjure. <laughs> so people just like, just like waved me past it, even if I wasn't explaining it super properly, though I pretty much always was. <laughs> yeah, that is, your your communication is definitely 
you know, one of the stronger. I mean, you, I, for, for anyone who doesn't know, like, Lee sells himself short and is a very strong technical player, in particular with decks that he enjoys playing and, and, and suits his play style. But your communication is definitely, even considering that, one of the stronger aspects of your game. Yeah, I, I think it's probably one of the strongest ones. There's, like, never a miscommunication between mm-hmm. me and my opponent. So, yeah, that's a little bit about, like, you and Magic as far as, like, our friendship goes. You know, we, the first time we played Magic against each other was probably back in, like, Time Spiral era. Um, you know. At F&M. Yeah, definitely at an F&M. There, there was a period where it would become the weekend and I'd be like, awesome. It is time to play F&M and then play a Saturday tournament, like, almost every weekend. Yeah, that was, like, a lot of high school for me. Yeah, it that ended a little bit for me when I got into high school because I was doing a lot of... But I'd meet cross country and track meets on sure. the weekends, but I still would try to like at least play F and M or you know play a Wednesday draft in F and M or something like that. But a lot of LGS time at that point in my life. And yeah, we definitely, you know, I moved around a lot, but it, actually, I, I feel like part of the reason that we were able to just sort of like re-enter the same circles and then start hanging out a lot more was like the podcast happened and just like. Oh yeah, like yeah. I like this person. Forgot that's right. about this, yeah. um, and so that's that's actually been one of the biggest parts about the podcast is like help help us find each other again and be friends, and that is good enough if nothing else ever came of this thing. So. Yeah, it was it was a little bittersweet because that's all started happening right before you went to Germany, right? And then you went to Germany. I'm like, oh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So this is gonna be really cool. Going forward, I'm really excited to do this with you. I, you know, probably talk about magic with you more than pretty much anybody else, except for Collins when we were doing the podcast. So this should be a pretty natural transition. And I love talking about magic. It's the most fun part about magic to me. So, well, I like playing a lot of magic, but I like playing, but right now it's definitely the best part of playing magic because I'm playing paper. Yeah. And Arena is, and, and Magic Online are not ideal substitutes no yeah so should we talk about some magic i guess yeah let's talk about the best part of magic bands Bands. yeah so fun (laughs) when things have gone wrong woof and boy things have been going wrong and these bands did not really address the things that have been going wrong (laughs) well i don't i don't know maybe it did in popper yeah but i didn't even (laughs) originally put popper on my list of things to talk about here We'll, we'll circle back to Popper. Well, we can circle back to Popper. So just to sum up, in Historic, um, Agent, Winota, and Fires move from the suspended list to the ban list, which is honestly kind of hilarious because Agent and Fires were never the problem in Historic. Nope. But I guess they're just really playing it safe. Winota was definitely a, a big thing in Historic and it deserves to be gone. Yes, that's an issue. So it was Nexus, which immediately got banned. Yeah, not even taking a, a trip to the suspended list first. They're just done with it. That card was a mistake. Like, if it's ever playable in a format, it's bad for the format. Yep. And uh, it was very good in this historic format. It's one of those decks where you know what the best thing to be doing late game is. Mm-hmm. It's always going to be Nexus. There's nothing else you can do in a right. late game. Nothing goes bigger than infinite turns and the problem with that is you just do it on turn five or six yeah with control as your backup plan and it's... with teferi hero <laughs> of dominaria as your backup plan or uro like and it's absurd yeah yeah 
And it also just, right, it creates, like, really gnarly game states and stuff. Definitely the printing of Uro gave it both a backup plan and a tiny win condition. Like, you just get to use and explore as your win condition Mm -hmm. when you finally need to deal lethal. And the fact that you win the game, but actually winning the game takes several minutes. Fortunately, it's not in paper, so you're not shuffling over and over and over. You know, we, we never had to play Historic Nexus and just shuffle three times a turn or whatever. Well, I played a lot of Paper Nexus. Yeah. And th- th- that doesn't happen very often where your opponent's just not frustrated enough to just concede. I did have one memorable person be very salty and make me play out through the entire league. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But that has only happened once. <laughs> once you've got a Wilderness Reclamation and a Search for Esconta, it's like... And I was not even close to timing out. I, I, I like, hammed it up to, like, do the biggest thing I could because uh-huh. it was very clear my opponent was conceding. <laughs> and I had, like, 15... Or, like, I had 15 minutes on the clock when we started. And I still had 10 minutes when I was done hamming <laughs> it up, you know? <laughs> With shuffling. Uh, so yeah, so Nexus is gone. I don't think it's a big surprise. I don't think it should be a thing in any format, and I'm happy to see it gone. The Burning Tree Emissary ban, well, suspension in Historic, is... I, I get it. There was a lot of gruel on ladder, but it's definitely a little bit of a... I wasn't totally expecting that. I Yeah, I don't get it. So I have mixed feelings about this suspension, for Burning Tree Emissary. Right. So on the one hand, I don't think it's a card that needs to be suspended. It's not really a problem. Mm-hmm. Like, it's it, it was necessary because Nexus was such a big part of the format. You really needed a big burst of damage to kill them before they could kill you. Yeah. But on the other hand, I don't believe Burning Tree Emissary is a card that should exist just because it doesn't lead to any kind of fun gameplay. <laughs> Right, it's just threatening turn three Embercleave is, like, its function. Right, and that's just not entertaining. Sure. And then you you draw it later, and you're like, it's a grizzly bear, this is horrible. Yeah, especially when, yeah, your top decks include such winners as Pelt Collector and Burning Tree Emissary after you've thrown your hand on the table. You, you can't always top deck an Embercleave, but... Well, Gruul's one of those decks where you play to the board and early, mm-hmm. and then you top deck a win. Yeah. That's, like, really how the deck plays out. You top deck Embercleave, a Haste Creature, or a Spurn Spell. Yeah. Usually one of the first two. Right, and everything else is dead at that point. Like... Yeah. But because Burning Tree Emissary just adds more kind of mediocre cards, but it's just an early game card, mm-hmm. means if you don't see it in your opening hand... It's, it's another blank in your it's deck. It's another blank in your deck, and yeah. I... Even in modern, where you play with bushwhackers and stuff, those decks aren't good. They're not fun either. Yeah. <laughs> like, you either have them, and they're, you're dead. Right. Or you don't, and you just lose. And I do think that that polarization of the deck is something that could make it exploitable in a way that you couldn't do when Nexus is at the other end of the spectrum. You can't play a green-black deck with removal spells and planeswalkers if a bunch of your opponents are just going to be casting Nexus of Fate against you. Right. But that deck could be potentially great against a Gruul deck that's just playing creatures and you kill the thing that the Embercleave gets put on and you just, like, can control the board. I, I think that type of scenario still exists. Like, if you're going to play the Rock against Gruul, mm-hmm. it doesn't matter if they have Burning Tree Emissaries in their deck or not in that scenario. Right. It just adds, like, a whole realm of variance right well and that's what i'm saying is like definitely like burning tree emissary is one of those cards that like maybe pushes the deck to be too 
you know, opening hand dependent and stuff. But with if they just banned Nexus, it's possible that decks would pop up that could just compete with Gruul because they don't have to take into account the Nexus matchup anymore. So you can do more mid-rangey stuff that can deal with some early creatures and the threat of Embercleave in a way that you just weren't allowed to build your deck in a Nexus format. So it's possible that Burning Tree Emissary might not be too good once Nexus is gone because of the way that you're allowed to build your deck. But yeah, I agree. It's like mostly up to no good, generally. (laughs) And also, what is this historic suspended bandit? It still makes no sense to me. Well, I think the impetus behind it was the idea of like, we don't really want to ban cards from historic because then we're just literally deleting things from people's accounts. But ultimately, like, you have to ban some stuff. If if a card is suspended, do you get wild cards back from it? No. And I don't think you get wild cards. You do get if, you do get if it's banned. Because I log on to Magic Arena every once in a while and, and just get wild cards. wild cards. Okay. <laughs> okay. Well, that's something. But, you know, the obnoxious thing is, like, Burning Tree Emissary was from the anthology, the, the anthology mm-hmm. which you might have bought mostly for Burning Tree Emissary, right? Like, I don't remember what was in that specific anthology, but all the anthologies are like three relevant cards and a bunch of medium cards. Right. And if you get like four uncommon wild cards for your Burning Tree Emissary, like, that's not a that, good deal. Yeah, that doesn't help your 25,000 gold right. that you spent on them. So, yeah. I... I I would have, if I were managing this, I would have let Gruul hang out for a little while longer with Burning Tree Emissary to see what happened first. But it's not. It doesn't. It's not the end of the world. There's an arena open that's historic coming up mm-hmm. that they probably just didn't want to be Nexus and Gruul yeah. hugely represented. And so they just killed both of them off. Yeah, well, Nexus deserved it. Yes. And Burning Tree Emissary, just whatever. Yeah. I think that I don't know enough about historic to say that like, what exactly this does to Gruul, but it does make me feel like Mono Red is probably capable of keeping up with Gruul once you take the Burning Tree Emissaries out of the Gruul deck. Just not competing with a deck that's able to put free cardboard into play, and the Gruul mana base in Historic is not ideal, and so it can possibly open the, the room up to different aggro decks. Yeah, that's very possible. I would be a little concerned about scavenging ooze and Elder Garger off. All that all those yeah. free life gain on the big bodies, but Oh, I don't mean necessarily that uh, it's gonna win the heads yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. I, I just mean that it may be similar power level versus the format. Where oh, okay, cool. you know, why would I play mono red when I could play Gruul and have the potential to have like a pelt collector like Burning Tree Emissary, Burning Tree Emissary, other two drop hand. And people are always gonna be playing their Teferi decks in historic anyway, so Yeah. Gotta smash them. Yeah. Well, and that's, yeah, the, the power of the Planeswalkers in that format is one thing that just, like, makes the all-haste creatures deck pretty attractive. Yeah, for sure. Moving on to Pioneer. They yeah. really, uh, they really don't care about Pioneer anymore, right? Like, no. That's just clear. There are, so, for reference, they unbanned Oath of Nyssa. Okay. And they banned nothing. <laughs> Not a single card. So, I kind of, like... In a ban announcement, I'm kind of less interested in the actual ban. Obviously, the actual ban or unban matters a lot. But the explanations are the thing that really, like, give you an insight into what's going on over there. Yep. The fact that the Pioneer explanation didn't address 
our pioneer events just aren't firing on Magic Online means that they're just not either just not paying attention to Pioneer at all, or they're just like trying to let it die an early death. It's it's so confusing because they basically what they said in the explanation is we've looked at our Magic Online data and we've looked at all these win rates because there's a bunch of combo decks people are talking about, but we haven't seen any data that bears this out. So we, we're just not going to do anything. We're just going to unban Oath of Nyssa for, you know, some reason. But yeah, <laughs> and, and so they're just looking at irrelevant data. But the, the basically the last three Pioneer Challenges, which are the premier Pioneer tournaments, mm-hmm. have not fired. Right. That's what matters. It doesn't matter what decks have what win rates and stuff. What matters is if people are having fun playing the format and choosing to play it. If they're not, you have to fix it. And... I don't know if you know this, but there's a big uh, virus outbreak going on, so a lot of people are staying at home and yeah. playing games. Yeah. <laughs> and this is one of the... They, they can't go outside. <laughs> they can't travel. Do you remember how hyped people were for Pioneer at the beginning of the format? Yeah. And for a while going into it, there was just a ton of deck building, even when it, it became like pretty clear what the best stuff was. Like, just a lot of back and forth, like, you know... Inverter was clearly incredibly good. Mono White adapted. Gideon of the Trials and Gideon's Intervention were like big changes. And like the format had churn and it had interaction and shifting and stuff. And it wasn't always my favorite format to play because of a combination of just like you usually had to have some clunky cards in your deck and the mana mostly didn't work. And so it it, it wasn't like a... When you think about sitting down and playing a deck, like, I really get excited to sit down and play decks that, like, play out smoothly, and I can just, like, imagine just, like, how comfortable the process of playing out my lands and spells are, and playing out Pioneer, it often, like, when I'm just sort of, like, sitting back and imagining how the game is gonna go, I'm usually thinking, like, yeah, I'm gonna draw a couple of spells in the wrong order, and, like, a a choked estuary is gonna come into play tab, but that aside... Like, there was a lot of things you could do, and people were pretty excited about it for a long time, and as the format has developed, and as Wizards has kind of just, you know, generally ignored that Inverter wins is like half of every top eight, it it just nobody wants to play this thing anymore. It, It feels a lot like, to me, that they are equating league data with like tournament data which is horrible yeah especially now yeah because i i whenever i play a league i'm not playing like the big tournament deck that i'm gonna play in the premier challenge i'm Mm -hmm. playing like stuff yeah maybe i'll play some games of a deck i don't know very well to try it out Mm -hmm. and who knows what my record is there maybe i'll try something i don't play very often just to get a feel for it and if I'm a true degenerate, maybe I'll play, like, the best deck, because I really, really enjoy it. Like, I, I could play Lotus Breach in leagues a lot. Mm-hmm. But a lot of people are just playing leagues for fun. <laughs> yeah. Especially after they merged the the casual and the comp leagues, you know, it's definitely just uh, you, you get what you get sort of play environment. And then you th- these challenges where people are encouraged to play the best deck, mm-hmm. which is clearly inverter yeah i don't care what their data they're looking at is oh it's just it is very obviously inverter in the hands of a player who has mastered inverter is a significant favorite against everything in the format yes it's it's crazy like i i don't get it yeah what what 
people are not playing this format because they do not like playing against inverter. They don't, they're not watching Pioneer because they don't like watching inverter mirrors. Yeah. People are, are playing inverter mirrors. Right. And when we do coverage, we specifically try to avoid inverter mirrors as much as possible because we know that people will not enjoy watching it. And we also know that there's always going to be an inverter mirror later on in the tournament. Right. Right. Probably in the finals. <laughs> right. I mean, not, not, but like, yes. There will be inverter mirrors in the top eight to watch. So, so yeah, Pioneer is on life support, and Wizards is pulling the plug. <laughs> yeah, there's there's just no support for it. There are no tournaments for it. The Pioneer challenges don't they feed into Mox format challenges? I guess, mm-hmm. but that's kind of it. There's yeah, no, there's nothing for Pioneer. There's no path to any of the arena tournaments. Yeah, though super qualifiers may be coming back. I don't know if those are Pioneer. I'm not sure. Hmm. I, saw a graph I don't know exactly what formats those are going to be. I'm, there probably will be some Pioneer ones mixed in there. And, and I guarantee those are going to be the lowest entered ones. Yep. So it's just going to be it's just going to be Pete Ingram. <laughs> yeah, if you are if you are Pete Ingram, if you are Edgar, if you have played a bunch of Inverter and are good with it, just play those. Like, they should just give Pete a special invite so that people know that he's not going to be in the super <laughs> qualifiers. <laughs> We haven't talked about the actual unbanned at all. We've only talked about what they have not banned. Yeah, and honestly, for can I keep talking about what they haven't banned for a little sure. bit? Sure. <laughs> I, I honestly just really wanted Inverter to be banned. I don't care about the other two combo decks. I just want to see what the far out looks like without those. Yeah. Because the mono white deck is a like glorified mid-range deck with a combo that's not super efficient. I was right. pretty much fine with it. Yeah. Oh, yeah. I, I think it's fine for the format generally. And Lotus Breach is dredge. Like it's right. Show up with hate and you beat it. Right, and, and that's fine if it's not too oppressive after Inverter goes away. I just wanted to see what happened. Yeah. Um, now we can talk about what the unbanned. Okay. <laughs> yeah. So the actual card that was unbanned, Oath of Nissa. Uh, pretty much the only thing that they said in the announcement was like, "Hey, Green hasn't been very good, so we're going to give Green a good card back," which is. I think the level zeroist level of thinking when it comes to bans and unbans. I feel like green is good though, like as a color. Yeah, it's just like hard for any of the green decks to beat Inverter. Like well, Sultai can't beat Inverter. There's too many combo decks for green to be like a ponder to be what green needs. Right, a ponder that can't grab spells, which is what you need to interact with these cards. Yeah, and and so the only use for Oath of Nissa is going to be as possibly an enabler to let the green decks be as degenerate as the other stuff in the format. Or my pick for the Oath of Nissa is just Kethis combo. Right. Well, that's what I mean. Is like yes, it's and I guess Kethis just isn't a green deck. It's it's pretty much a four color deck. Yeah, but the Oath, the Oath of Nissa decks that will be successful, if any, are going to be the ones that are doing degenerate stuff. Whether it's Kethis combo or doing powerful Nykthos stuff, like those are the only two things that I can see happening from here. And to be honest, I actually did want Oath of Nissa unbanned mm-hmm. because I think Kethis is like a really fair combo deck. Mm-hmm. It's not like Lotus Breach. That plays this really crazy game. You can't interact with any of their permanents, and right. they, they you can't like strip their hand because they just top to four of the pages and kill you. Yeah, Kethis plays to the board. It uses its graveyard in very predictable ways, mm-hmm. and its mana is horrendous. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, right. It, it's kind of like the old idea of attacking storm decks. Is like there's a lot of angles that you can do it on and be successful, 
and cat this deck similarly there's a lot of ways depending on your strategy like most of your interactive cards can have some effect you just need to make sure that the combination of them actually is accomplishing the thing you need to do and i play kethis at the invitational mm-hmm. i did meh i went <laughs> i went like four and four or something but i i made a choice to play it at an invitational because yeah. i thought it was good enough to compete with the decks at the time right this was way before Inverter and stuff existed. Mm-hmm. And all those other new combo decks, plus, you know, all this other st- stuff got banned, like Oko. It's just, you just can't play Kathis, really. And allowing that deck to exist seems more or less fine to me. Mm-hmm. Especially if, you know, you just want to keep letting Inverter exist. I mean, it is kind of... Like, I wonder if there is a world where it's like, yeah, we can just let Pioneer be the combo format. I, but inverter is actually kind of toxic to that because it's very easy to craft inverter to beat any of the combo decks. I I don't think you want any format to be the, the combo, combo format. format, right? Because like I really enjoy combo decks; they're pretty much all I play. Mm-hmm. But you, that is the minority of the player base of Magic. Yeah, it's a tiny percentage. And if you want people to play your format, you put a combo deck, maybe two. And their niche, and people don't see them that often. Right. You don't make the best three decks in your format all combo decks and force people to play them because they're just going to lose otherwise. Right. right. Yeah, I mean, the third Storm ban was not because Storm was the best deck in the format. It was unnecessary. <laughs> yeah. The The Splinter Twin ban wasn't really because Splinter Twin was the best deck in the format. It was because of the play pattern and because it you know, homogenize the blue decks, basically. Generally, combo decks are the thing, you know, they're the squeaky wheels. And yeah, players don't love having to deal with combo a lot. So yeah, having a format be the combo format probably means that it's a dead format that people aren't going to play. Yeah, and they, they need to fix it. They, I don't, they need to like issue some sort of new ban they can ban things whenever they want right Mm -hmm. so just ban inverter tomorrow it it doesn't matter well they gotta give us that limbo week where every where nothing is real oh you mean where people won't play pioneer oh no (laughs) (laughs) that this method of ban announcements is just bad yes It, it just for a week we just knew that historic was fake pioneer was fake and modern was fake and we didn't know how, even in a world where we could like sit down and play paper magic or, you know, queue up against your friends with decks that satisfied the new format, you just couldn't. Well, I will say that all of us knew for certainty something from Inverter was being banned yeah. <laughs> for Pioneer, so we weren't playing it. Right. And wow, joke's on us. We could have been playing Pioneer the whole time. I don't know. The Inverter deck is just the brainstorm of Pioneer at this point. <sighs> no. It, honestly, I really do like the Inverter deck. I think it's some really cool games, mm-hmm. but it's it's just too good. It's yeah. too hard to interact with. Yeah. Right. I, I think it's kind of the opposite of the Splinter Twin problem, which is like the games against Splinter Twin. And yes, I know that there are people who want to talk about the Jun versus Splinter Twin matchup, but the the fact that you just kind of had to make the decision very early in the game of do I respect getting comboed out here or can I not win if I respect getting comboed out here 
And it might just be like, yeah, I can't win if I get com- if if they have combo. I have to go for it. They have the combo. You die. Like it's just like a pretty toxic, unfun play pattern. And and even before you even get to that point, like strategically, I know a lot of people newer to modern at that time, which is like, I have to make sure I always have an answer to the combo. Mm-hmm. Not even thinking that oh, I can't afford to just play against double sphere of resistance the entire game. Yes, double sphere of resistance on just me. Like, my opponent still gets to use all of their mana. Right. And so, like, that's a bad play pattern. A lot of those games were just really not good or fun or interesting for the player playing against Blender Twin because of the threat that the combo represented. Inverter generally, like, from a high-level just matchup perspective and enjoying gamesmanship and play, like... The inverter games are very cool, generally. Yeah, you, you like the cards in your graveyard matter specifically what they are mm-hmm. and how many of them are. Yeah. There's like a lot of factors that go into it, especially in the mirror. It gets really crazy. Right. Like there's a definite skill gap between people who have just picked up the deck and people who are strong players who have spent a lot of time on it. And that can be good, but at some point, maybe once your skill gap is as large as it seems to be with inverter, it might actually be a bad thing. Um, but yeah, like the problem with Inverter generally is just that in the hands of a strong player, the deck is straight up too good. And and I, I think that arguing against that point and saying the deck isn't too good, which is clearly like what Wizards believes, I, I think that it is just really missing the point and misunderstanding how the deck and the format work right now. Yeah, if you have 60 players entering a Pioneer event with Inverter... And only 10 of them are just very good with the deck. Mm-hmm. 50 of them are going to have like a pretty bad tournament. Because that deck's really easy to just kill yourself with. Yeah. And then 10 of them are just going to skyrocket to the top 16. Mm-hmm. And that's... Everyone knows that. Yeah. <laughs> and that, that win rate will be low for Inverter. It'll be like 40-ish percent. Yeah. But... But but <laughs> you have Pete and Edgar just in like always winning with the deck. Yeah, like plus 60%. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So anyways... That's Pioneer. The For the next three months, when we come back to it. Yeah. It, it's probably just going to be gone by the next time that we, we think to talk about it. Well, we need a subtext for Tannen and Ross's podcast. <laughs> yeah. I mean, those guys are... They, they definitely have a situation to deal with. <laughs> Poor them, man. I know. They had a great... They jumped on that, too. They did, It was yeah. good. It was a good idea. It was great. Yeah, for sure. Uh, and, like, mad respect for just doing it immediately uh but they're definitely in a rough spot at this point yeah shout out to the pioneer cast yeah i mean give those guys a listen on only like 40 minutes of the two-hour podcast is about pioneer anyways like i know so it doesn't really matter necessarily that pioneer is bad like there's still plenty that they get to talk about yeah i I would listen to the tannin and ross daily podcast yeah and that's that's what a lot of that podcast is so yeah talk about modern yeah, Astrolabe got banned. R.I.P. I don't think anyone's really crying a tear over it. Like, I was even pretty Astrolabe agnostic. Mm-hmm. I didn't care if it lived or died. Yeah. And I'm not sad it's gone. It's just, like, too good. Yeah. <laughs> pretty clearly. It is a shame that, you know, it had such wide applications in just the general snow decks I would have appreciated, like, an Urza deck still being viable in Modern, but Astrolabe just had too wide-ranging of implications on the format to to stay around. And I think this ban didn't go far enough, to be honest. Hmm. Um, 
I would have loved to see Mystic Sanctuary Band. The card... I, I think it was one or the other, and I would have probably preferred the Sanctuary Band. Yeah. Yeah, I, I think... Just thinking about what they do to games, mm-hmm. Astrolabe makes you... It makes your mana perfect. It makes you be able to play the game flawlessly. Yeah. That's not ideal when you get to play every game out, but it doesn't feel bad. Not unless you're playing a Blood Moon or something. It's rare that my my opponent casts Astrolabe and I'm like, ugh, they had the Astrolabe. Right. It's just like, obviously an egregiously powerful card, mm-hmm. but it's not one that feels bad to play against. Yeah. But Mystic Sanctuary... Unless you have Blood Moon in your hand, but yeah. Yeah, sure. Yeah, And I'm not going to shed any tears over Blood Moon <laughs> right. being bad. Like, I've, I've watched too many Pro Tour top 8s be decided by just someone casting Blood Moon. <laughs> <laughs> and the other person being a three-color mana base that didn't have enough fetch lands. So I'm not shedding tears over Blood Moon being a little fair. worse. But I do not... I hate Mystic Sanctuary. It's just far too good. Yeah, And the play patterns it presents are literally just recasting your spells over and over again the same spell yeah <laughs> it's it's not engaging right when your cryptic command picks up your mystic sanctuary and you do it again three times yep. here's the spell that's good against you i'm gonna cast it extra times so now you can't win um i drew I, all of the draws in my deck are live because my fetch lands are great and the rest of my cards are spells what yeah and, and actually and sanctuary are both like pretty clear examples of fetch lands just being absurd yeah but you know i think both of those cards would be fine if fetch lands just weren't legal yeah i think ashley is actually a really good design yeah for like just... if you have to play a lot of basics and not just like six ish mm-hmm. six and like 11 or 12 fetches yeah you're just going down but like uh, given... also uro would be like way more fair without fetch lands yeah given that pioneer exists for what it is mm-hmm. right now uh, <laughs> I think modern has to have fetch lands in it, and so yeah, it's the main then, differentiator. Yeah, and so then you just just get Mystic Sanctuary and Ashley out of the format. Just these cards we don't want to really be involved with, and that's what's dominating modern is just Sanctuary decks. Yeah, yeah, and I don't think that that's necessarily going to stop. Obviously, Astrolabe makes Sanctuary better because you can run three land three three you can run three colors and have a Blood Moon-proof mana base, and in fact, often sideboard your own Blood Moons, and you can have enough islands to, you know, Mystic Sanctuary on turn four, and also cast Cryptic Command. Like, you can do all of those things because of Astrolabe, but there's no reason why Blue-White Miracles can't continue to be a thing with this Astrolabe. Like, you didn't run Astrolabe anyways. Yeah. You just had a lot of Mystic Sanctuaries because you were two colors, and it was fine that way. That still happens, and I think Mystic Sanctuary continues to be too good for a land slot in a deck. Yeah, I, I agree 100%. And we'll see how Modern shapes up. I really don't think it'll change too much. Mm-hmm. Maybe it changes the Mystic Sanctuary decks people play. Maybe Goblins makes a splash, but who knows. I think that there are going to be a, like a measurably reduced amount of Uros in the metagame, and so I would be, you know, that makes the red decks a little bit better. I think Goblins will probably continue to be pretty fine. Um, yeah, we will see. I've not been focusing hard on Modern recently, but I, I am curious to see what happens after this ban. I will be paying pretty close attention. 
Especially because we have a tournament to cover coming up. Yeah. And I, I wouldn't, honestly, would not have shed a tear for Uro just being gone. Mm-hmm. That card is not a fun-inducing game either. Yeah. It's it's a problem card. <laughs> it's just, it's crazy. If they just hadn't stuck that life gain on there. It, it doesn't actually matter what you remove from the card. Just pick something. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I can I make mean, an so, argument for any facet of the card that you can remove. Right. You're like, I'm saying, like, because the life gain is kind of the least, like, thing when you read the card. You're like, oh, yeah. Like, it's like, yes, explore on the front side. Fantastic. Yes, draw a card every time anything happens with this. Awesome. Gain through life. Cool. That keeps me alive. Take away that gain through life, and then all of a sudden, Uro isn't, like, the only card you have to have in your deck to beat aggro decks. Yeah, if it doesn't have a draw card on it, you're just not getting ahead in resources or life doesn't matter. If yeah. it doesn't explore, you get behind instead of just catching up for free. Right. It's just, it does everything. Yeah. Why? And you can't kill it. <laughs> no, egregious. <laughs> so, yeah. And then finally, there were popper bands. Which they paid more attention to than Pioneer. A lot more, it seems like. <laughs> and honestly, I do not know anything about popper or as it's Same. currently played. Same. They banned Expedition Map and Mystic Sanctuary. I'm just going to assume those were great bans. Sure. Because Mystic Sanctuary is just not a good card to exist. Yeah, although that is a no-fetch line format, but it is a format where I assume you, the decks are running all islands yeah. and four Mystic Sanctuaries. The last time I played Popper, I played a Delver deck that had 12 islands in it, so... Yeah. And I had, like, 16 lands in my deck. Right, right. And I know, yeah, there's, there's ways of returning the land to your hand and just having your opponent in a counterspell lock, and I'm... Not that I know actually how anything played out, but kind of crazy. Expedition Map has been in that format for a very long time, and I think Tron was just a really good deck in that format for years at this point. I Yeah, I think it fell off a little bit. I'm not a big popper player, but it's always like a presence. Yeah. And it probably will still be, just not nearly as consistent. Sure. Anyways. I, I just do not like popper. I don't... I don't understand why they would pay more attention to it than Pioneer. So Popper has a fundamental problem to it, which is that the good threats are rares, and plenty of acceptable answers are commons. It is really hard to kill your opponent in Popper, and it is really hard to... Constructive Magic has gone too far towards the end of like every four mana spell just kills your opponent. Popper is way too far towards the other end, which is none of your cards ever kill your opponent, no matter how long they are in play. Yep, and it's just... I have actually played quite a bit of Popper from like various points of history. Mm-hmm. I played way, way far back when Storm was really good, when like all the great all the Storm cards were legal. Yeah. And there were different versions of it. You could play a bunch like Goblins and... I like the one where shot. you just bounced all of your opponent's lands. <laughs> Temporal Fissure, <them>. yes. Yeah. <laughs> bounced all their permanents, all, everything. Well, gone. yeah, but including the lands was the, the main sticking point there. And I played infinite variations of Delver decks, mm-hmm. Snow, Non-Snow, whatever. And it the, the format is kind of like the worst of Limited and the worst of Constructed <laughs> all at once somehow. <laughs> because I love, I actually really enjoy Popper Cubes. Mm. They're like really good limited gameplay experiences because you get to draft a deck and yeah. it plays a lot out like limited but there are no bomb rares so you like know what to expect right well and nobody has 4x counter spell in their deck yeah 
but then you play against like actual popper constructed and your opponent rolls up with like four ponders, four preordains, four counter spell, yeah. four delver secrets, four ninja the deep powers. What is what? <laughs> <laughs> I and and you have your own like four lightning bolts and stuff and you kill all their creatures and then they just ponder into another one. Right, right. I spend most of the game playing ponder looking at the top card of my library and putting it on the bottom. None of these cards do anything. <laughs> Oh, this this lightning bolt. He'll kill my opponent's creature. I'll keep it for now. Right, because the answers are really good at common. God, I hope they don't play Gurmag Angler. I'll need my Scred, <laughs> which does also kill it. <laughs> yep, so not. I think that the main takeaway here is they clearly spent significantly more time cons- carefully considering the Popper ban than thinking about the Pioneer ban. <laughs> Their recent premier format. Yeah. Like, come on. <laughs> I mean, clearly they are pushing, we're about to talk about the organized play announcement in which they have, you know, said, hey, organized play is on arena. That's how we're doing it. And so Pioneer, not on arena right now, although they have said they have plans, but those plans are very nebulous. Uh, And so certainly like historic is the one that they're going to be pushing in that slot. And I think that's a pretty clear reason why they have just kind of abandoned Pioneer at this point. Do you know if... I don't know the timeline of the historic premier tournaments. Mm-hmm. Is it after Amonkhet releases? I don't actually know. The, I, I spent a lot of time looking at the organized play announcement and stuff like that. And, and just like trying to put together how qualifications work and how the rivals and MPL stuff works. But I did not pay close attention to what format different things are. Because I believe Jumpstart comes out soonish mm-hmm. which i think will have minimal impact on historic i went through the spoilers most of the cards that would be good in historic just got removed from arena yeah flames on kavu yeah that one's too good so <laughs> and then there's like time to feed which was too hard to program just a bad fight card <laughs> and the new cards in jumpstart none of them are really that playable mm-hmm. they're all like kind of pigeonholed into themes that aren't don't really have card support right like oracle of moldaya and stuff like that yeah or that one's a actually pretty good example but i was thinking like there's like a mill lord that sure. mills twice for every card you mill mm-hmm. and it's just like a bunch of cards like that that are self-contained into the jumpstart themes that while on arena and historic won't really be played anywhere sure unless i missed one which forgive me because there were way too many games. something something will happen i mean that the the six mana goblin is really sweet so i would be pumped if that did a thing but uh an Amonkhet remastered not actual Amonkhet comes out at the near end of august i believe is it remastered because it's like a combination of Amonkhet and hour or literally no idea they okay. have not said all they say is Amonkhet remastered okay because i know that like on moto like tempest remastered was like that whole block yeah and Mercadian masks was the same thing. Right? Yeah, they just put all three sets into one pack. Right, because they were just... the worst limited format known to man. Well, yeah, they knew that nobody needed anything out of there except for like Rishid and Ports and like nothing. So they just wanted to release <laughs> all of the cards and put it onto Moto so that they were there, uh, and then that was how they did it. So who... I don't know what. Yeah. We don't know what Amonkhet Remastered is, I guess. It's going to be crazy, too, because if Amonkhet Remastered is just, like, a pack, that's just another pack you have to collect a bunch of on your arena account for Historic (laughs) and Slash Pioneer. Yeah. Oh, they also announced that for Jumpstart, you cannot buy the packs. 
You can only get Jumpstart cards either by crafting them or by playing the Jumpstart sealed events, uh, which are not really sealed, which honestly, huge upgrade from Arena Sealed because you don't have to build your deck oh, thank God. and use just the worst possible deck builder. You couldn't design a worse one that if you tried, unless you figure out a way to like make your laptop shock you as you like grabbed cards. <laughs> it's low behavioral science. I just, it is boggling to me that a deck builder where you can see like five of your five of the cards in your pool at a time is a thing. There's no way to like get a feel for what cards you have available. So that in that sense, because in Jumpstart you don't have to build a deck, huge quality of life increase over actual sealed. But you know, I personally, I, I actually am pretty interested in Jumpstart. That's I, cool. I want to play it in paper. I want to have an evening with my friends where we crack a box of Jumpstart. And play these goofy half-and-half decks against each other and just have fun. And just open a ton of gorgeous basic lands. Yeah, exactly. Every basic is great. Yes. I'm super psyched for that. I have no desire to play this against strangers on Arena without any interaction. Like, I want to be joking with my friends when I play these cards. That seems like the entire point of the thing. And honestly, I I think this product is, like, really, really good. Yeah. It sucks that it's just... Happened to fall in 2020. Right. Right. A, a product that clearly benefits from having your friends come over and having a beer and playing Jumpstart against each other. Like, that's that's the ideal situation for these cards, and that's just not really possible. Because this is a format or a product, I guess, like um, Battle Bond, mm-hmm. that I really want to be successful because it's a lot of fun. It's a novel experience. They yeah. don't do stuff like this often. But it's really hard for this product to sell well when... People can't go out and see their friends. Yeah. Although, they, I think they've already pretty much sold out the initial print run, which was restricted because of COVID stuff. They weren't able to get as much out. But people have pretty much just bought this up. That's nice. I mean, the reprint equity in it is pretty high, and that is, which is a good thing. Um, but yeah, they, I, I do feel like they really kind of, at least from what it looks like, and who knows what the play experience is actually like, because it's totally possible that playing it kind of sucks. But I, I feel like they would have figured that part out because that's definitely the hardest part of the whole thing. But everything from looking at it, it seems like a home run. I think Wizards does a really, really good job with the auxiliary products. Mm-hmm. Like every, pretty much everyone they've released that I've played, like Battlebond, Modern mm-hmm. Horizons, Limited, uh, yeah, Limited, Jumpstart. Yes. Well, because they're all designed for like self-contained environments conspiracy mm-hmm. 2 right i didn't i didn't love conspiracy because it's a multiplayer format but that's like a, a personal thing yeah i mean each of these things has had like kind of negative impacts on constructed formats but i think that's mostly because they don't ever think about it yeah like modern horizons was not actually designed to be part of modern mm-hmm. it was designed as time spiral 2 like a fun auxiliary product for experienced players right there were just 15 cards in it that are not okay and then they got they wanted to brand it, and mm-hmm. they were like, oh, let's just market it as, like, a premier product for straight to modern. Yeah. And they're like, okay, I guess that's how we're selling it. And it just became this, like, monster. <laughs> yeah. Which is a shame, because there are some wonder there are some wonderful designs for modern in that set. Scour the Possibilities is one of my, like, favorite. Yeah. It's yeah. the flashback pre-reading. Yeah. Like, you know, Winds of Abandon as just, like, an extra fine removal spell that sometimes creates, like, really neat, like, situation. Like, holy crap, I can plague win my opponent. Like, that's a cool card to have in Modern. Season Pyromancer is, like, perfect power level for a red yeah. mid-rangey card. But, yeah, definitely overshadowed by 
some of the design mistakes in that set. Let's see, what were we talking about here? Jumpstart generally. Historic. 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 <laughs> yeah. We're talking about historic. Yeah. So, you know, with that history, uh, uh, probably there is something truly egregious in Jumpstart that's going to destroy historic, but we'll see. Hopefully not. Hopefully we'll see it in the, like, premiere of it, because I think that'd be pretty cool. Yeah, that's true. Somebody just, like, putting Mad Goblins into play with their 6-6, six, six, or yeah. their 6-mana 4-4. Four, four. We have to learn the names of these cards eventually. <laughs> oh, yeah. That's very true. If they become relevant, I'll learn them as they are good. Sure. All right, so finally, we got to get to the organized play announcement. Yesterday, they made a super vague announcement of upcoming announcements where it was really hard to tell even when stuff would be announced. They said they were going to announce things throughout this week. Starting tomorrow. It's just like, what? Come on. It's the pre-announcement of announcements. Then they announced when they were announcing this today. Right. And they're not even... If you're going to announce announcements, at least like be clear about what the announcement's going to be. Or when it is. Or when it is or something. Like... The announcement of the announcement that doesn't give any information about the announcement... It's useless. ...should not happen. <laughs> it just makes everyone upset. Yes. Like, if you announce a ban list update, no one likes it, but we know exactly when the ban list update's gonna happen. Yes. It's gonna be 10.30 on Monday. Yeah. That's when it always happens. When you announce an update to organize play that you're gonna make an announcement for <laughs> later this week, people are just like, what? O- okay. I guess I'll wait here. Just let me know... When that is. <laughs> All right, get back to me. <laughs> but so a lot of the information did drop today, split into kind of two two announcements. I'm, I'm going to have you break this down for me because yes. it was a lot to digest. Yeah, and, and so I think this is actually good because I spent a lot of time looking at it and trying to figure out what's going on. You didn't have a chance because you were at work, so I can just sort of explain it to you. You can ask the questions in the place of our listeners who may not have totally parsed this announcement yet, which I looked at it, I read it through several times, kept going between, like, looking at it on my computer and going downstairs to talk with Evan about it as we just sort of, like, waded through it to understand the implications of all of this stuff, in particular the new rules about Rivals and MPL. So... It's split into two announcements. The first announcement is just sort of setting up, like, what the next tournaments are going to be. And then the second announcement is talking about Rivals and MPL and sort of how that works. Uh, So the tournament structure is basically everything is going to be on Arena. We have three Arena kind of PTs coming up. But for some reason, they're calling the whole next, like kind of nine months of organized play they're calling it a season it seems like but the whole like next three sets the whole it's the next it's the mpl season is is what it is because it's at the end of that season it's determined who is in the next season of the mpl and rivals league so that whole thing is a season next three sets worth of magic competitive play is the season and then that's split into three like three month-ish periods and each of those is called a split. And they just love calling stuff splits. I think that it's a league thing. What are they split into or from? They're split from the season. I think... I think, But they're part of the season. Right. But I think league does this. There's like a summer split or something like that. And I think they're just like co-opting that language in a way that... Like they just put it down and magic players who don't play league are just like... what? At least I am like... What is this? And, and like... I've been paying attention to magic for forever. 
And I'm not huge on other esports, but I read a lot of things and I'm generally just like aware of how words work and stuff and split. Like, I am not excited to win the Zendikar Rising split championship. Like, that's not a thing that I'm like, yeah, I'm the split champion. It's not the Zendikar Rising Pro Tour. Right. That's at least a thing that has cachet within the magic community. I can't really go tell my mom, like, I won the Pro Tour, and then she'd have to be like, what is that? And I'd be like, well, okay, here. But I could tell somebody who plays magic what that was, and they'd be like, oh, wow. That's not like you can tell your mom you won the Zendikar Rising split either. Right, right, right. (laughs) Of course. Yeah. And I'm just saying, like, I couldn't tell my mom, and I also couldn't tell somebody who casually plays magic that I won the Zendikar Rising split. Is that like a local game store thing? Or? No, it's a $250,000 arena tournament. There's no ice cream involved? That is a joke that Abe Stein has already made today. So I didn't see it. I know. So, basically three arena PTs. They're called split championships. Each one is at the end of that three-month split. Uh, and you qualify for them in normal ways, like via uh, Magic Online qualifiers qualify you for it. Rivals and MPL are all qualified for these tournaments, and you can get there by uh, each month. Top 1200 Mythic gets to play in a weekend qualifier, and if you get seven wins on day one, you qualify for day two. If you get seven wins on day two, then you qualify for the Arena Split Championship. Is this the same top 1,200 for, like, 1,200 for first month, 1,200 for the second month, 1,200 for the third month? So there's actually, you know, it used to be, for a while it was, like, the top 1,200 from each of the last three months are playing in the same thing. Yeah. Now there's one every month. But oh, it, it's like a like a qualifier in the month. Yes. But it kind of doesn't matter because it's all by record anyways. So the first one, I think the one in September, you can qualify for it in August or September, but it doesn't really matter because it's by record. It just means that that split championship is probably going to be a little bigger than the next split championships. But you still have to get seven wins on day one to make day two, and then seven wins on day two to make the arena championship. So that is kind of all that that announcement is about, is that those split championships exist, and here's how you qualify for them. Then we have to get into the MPL and Rivals stuff to kind of talk about what that split championship means and then how you qualify for these higher level organized play entities. The split championships are kind of meaningless, to be completely honest. So they qualify you for the next split championship if you get 10 wins in them, and they are pretty much set up like PTs. They're just arena PTs. Are these like 16-round tournaments? Yeah, I think so. Okay. Um, and, and if you get 10 wins, then you qualify for the next one. But there are no pro points. There are no mythic points. Consistent success in these things doesn't get you anywhere. So if I get nine wins, I get nothing. Yes, correct. I, unless there's something like listed somewhere that that gives you a thing specifically. But I'm pretty sure if you get nine wins, you get nothing except for whatever prize nine wins gets like there's money at stake but as far as qualifying for stuff and allowing consistent winning if i want to get on the train i basically get nothing for my progress other than straight qualifications there is no train the only train is qualifying for rivals or mpl 
That is the only way to, like, stay qualified going forward under the system. So, but you said I could have a 10 win on one split championship gives you to the next one, right? Right. And then you have to get 10 wins again to get to the next one. And that's that's it. There's no fractional invites or anything. No fractional invites, no points, no pro players club. Like, there is no way to sort of be on a low-level train with, like, you can't, like, it doesn't seem like you can store up qualifications really like you just have to qualify for each one either through the previous split championship or through one of the other qualification methods. You have to qualify individually for each one of these tournaments unless you are MPL or rivals who are qualified for all of them. Okay, so if these are the money tournaments mm-hmm. and I don't qualify them for them automatically unless I'm in rivals or MPL, how well do I need to do in these tournaments to get to the MPL or okay. rivals? There is one way to do that. Okay. That is to spike one of these tournaments. I have to win the entire tournament? No. You have to top four. You have to be in the top four of challengers. So non-MPL, non-rivals players. Okay. So so four challengers from each of these tournaments make rivals. Automatically? Yep. Does Is that inclusive, like... If all if the top four of the tournament is all MPL or rivals, mm-hmm. it just pulls the like five through eight. Right. There will always be four challengers from each of these arena tournaments that are going to be in rivals for the next season. And that's how you get in. That is the only way to get in. Twelve people will join. Alright. So follow-up question from this. Yes. So if I've top four I'm I'm a challenger who just top four the first split championship. Great, congrats, so, nice. So now I'm in rivals next season. Yes, but if I'm qualified for the next split championship, so I want to play it for money. Yeah. If I top four it again, I'm not a rival. Yeah, I don't know if they've thought of that or how it works. But I'm on a hot streak, so right. And I don't know if then I get nothing extra for just like I have no. Yeah, I mean it doesn't seem like it certainly. I and I certainly could have missed some stuff. But so here's basically the breakdown of how this process works. We have right now our MPL is 24 players. Our Rivals League is 48 players. Mm -hmm. Uh, At the end of this season. So there's there's also one other competitive play thing that's going to be happening that is not the arena. uh, The arena PTs. And I actually like this quite a bit. There's going to be league play where basically the MPL players and the Rivals players are going to play against each other in these like weekly six-round tournaments. And the number of matches you win is the number of points you have for the season, and that determines the players' rankings within the MPL and within Rivals League at the end of the season. It is very strange to me that that's the only thing that matters, and their successes in these arena PTs don't contribute to their seasonal point totals. But at the end of the season, there will be an MPL ranking based on how the 24 MPL players did in those, you know, weekly six-round tournaments. And Rivals will also have a list of, of, of rankings based on that. That determines a lot for these players. So the top four in Rivals and the top four in the MPL automatically make the MPL for the next year. Cool. That's like a third of the MPL. Yeah. Uh, it is very strange the way they've set this up. A lot of the MPL gets relegated. So the rest of the MPL get relegated? The twelve bottom 12 of the MPL automatically get relegated. 
To rivals? To rivals. Okay. They can't... If you're an MPL, you can't go lower than rivals. Gotcha. The bottom 12 of rivals get relegated out to challengers. But those are the only people that can leave this sort of MPL rivals ecosystem at the end of the season. 12 people leave out of a total of 72 players. So you're looking at 60 of the same faces every season? Right. And it's just the people in the MPL that get really, really shuffled around between MPL and Rivals. It's actually significantly easier to end up in the MPL at the end of the season from Rivals than it is from the MPL. I think Evan did the math on it, and given a you know 50% win rate against the field or given equivalent win rates I don't know exactly what it was but it would set you at 29% to make MPL from Rivals League for any individual and you're at 22% to re-up in the MPL yeah I think Ari Lax had a tweet okay that was the math of that oh okay cool then then credit to Ari for that one so the way that it works from there you know the top four of each automatically make the MPL there are two gauntlets and that's like the gauntlet who decides to get into MPL. Right. And so these are end-of-season tournaments. I like generally the concept of these things quite a bit. It is an end-of-season tournament. There's the MPL gauntlet, which is, you know, MPL players 5 through 12, because 13 through 24 were automatically relegated to rivals. Yeah. And then it is 16 of the rivals players. And they are playing a gauntlet that puts some amount, that puts the top four finishers into the MPL and then the top four rivals into the MPL. So if you're a rival in that tournament, you have a significant advantage over the MPL players in making the MPL. Like an extreme example would be the top four players in the tournament are MPL players. Okay. Or no, the top, the top four players in the tournament are rivals players. And then the all eight of the MPL players in that tournament finish in the next eight spots. So you, top four players are rivals players, and then you have five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, all MPL players. Mm-hmm. None of those players qualify for the MPL, and then thirteenth, fourteenth, fifteenth, and sixteenth place qualify for the MPL. Why? Because that's the rules. It's the top four finishers, and then the top four rivals finishers who weren't in the top four. That's very unusual. <laughs> yeah. I, I would definitely, if I were setting the system up, I would give an advantage to the incumbents in that scenario. If I were to give an advantage to anybody, yeah. I would probably just have it be the top eight people in that tournament. So, very weird system. Uh, the, there's a second gauntlet. There's the rivals gauntlet, where, you know, the rivals that did not make, that were not automatically qualified for the MPL and also did not make the MPL gauntlet... They play this gauntlet, and the 12 challengers who did well in the three PTs also play in this gauntlet. Mm -hmm. If you finish in the top four, or you are one of the top four challengers, so challengers have an advantage over rivals in this (laughs) one, then you automatically make the MPL. Everybody else makes Rivals League. Wait, so you can go from a challenger? Straight to MPL. Straight to MPL. Which I think is good, because... Under, you know, their first try at this, you could start a season of playing Magic and win 100% of your matches and not end up in the MPL. I'd, I'm glad that that isn't a thing anymore. 
but this also does guarantee at least four challengers go straight to the MPL. But is it... I, I like that there's a path mm-hmm. that challengers can go to the MPL. Yes. But it seems rather artificial. It does. Where you're playing in a gauntlet where all you need to do is be in the top four of... Of the 12... Of your people. Right. You, right. Don't, you don't need to just, like, beat up on the rivals. You just need to be beat up on your peers. Right. And just do better than... You're outrunning the bear. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Right, you're 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 not outrunning the bear, is what it is. Like you're you, the bear yeah. just has to eat your friend, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, and so that's so weird to me that that those slots are like clearly they are creating. It is an attempt churn. to create artificial churn. Yeah. Generally, what this results in is it is pretty easy to stay in rivals if you're in there already. You have to finish in the bottom 12 of Rivals to go home. To go home. So, you know, 25% leave Rivals and the rest, as long as you are winning a reasonable amount of your matches in the, the weekly things, you'll be pretty fine and are favored to stick in Rivals for a while. And as long as you're within this MPL Rivals ecosystem, kind of every couple of seasons, you'll get to be in the MPL. And then you'll get shot back to rivals. And as long as you stay up to date and you keep your win record reasonable, then you just get to stay in that and kind of go back and forth between the two is what it seems like. And then 12 people from outside come in and 12 people from inside go out every season. Um, I'm sure this will change after one season, but that's how it is set up for this coming one. Okay, so I, I pretty much understand the system now. Yeah, because I explained it so good. I think you did a good job of explaining it. Well done. (laughs) But I do have one real question. I probably won't be able to answer it. Why do I care about this Rivals MPL? Ah, I cannot answer that. (laughs) So, uh, under the old system, there were a bunch of pro tours. These were, like, really high-level events, had a lot of matches. I liked seeing players. I I liked seeing players I knew, too. Mm -hmm. It was cool. Yeah. And the MPL was, like tried that tried the whole players you know we're gonna play every week no one cared i didn't watch a single episode weekly thing i think they are gonna do this part a little bit better i think that it is less confusing what's at stake in each match because they are just playing for points the the flip side of that is like the matches it, it it's the the difference between baseball games and Major League Baseball games versus NFL games, like every NFL game is huge for playoff playoff concerns. But there's like 180. There's so many baseball games. (laughs) Like you can lose a whole three game series at the beginning of the season. And if you put things back together, like you're fine later on. So, you know, because there are so many matches and because especially since this is the first time we're doing it, it's on, you know, you won't really know like, okay, what, what is the record that you can math it out, but it's not immediately obvious, like, what is the record that you need to stay in the MPL or stay in Rivals or get to MPL from Rivals? Like, it's not immediately clear what that's going to be. But at least it will be live, is what they've said, with coverage, which is a huge improvement over just they didn't do production. On... I mean, I, I would know. I never watched Nobody any of did. So hopefully this will get watched a little more. But... You know, and and some amount of league play, I think, can be successful. But it is really weird to me that they've taken the true, 
like large field tournament play out of the equation. Doing well in these PTs doesn't, there's, besides the money prizes, there's no reason for an MPL player or a Rivals player to care about how they did in any of these arena tournaments. Do you mean the split championships? Yes. Or the like inbred bubble? No, no, the inbred, the, the, the bubble thing. The bubble is what they care about? That is all they care about. And the split champions seem like what everyone else cares about. Right, but you only care about that for spiking and being a top four challenger in one of them. That's the only thing that matters from those tournaments for for qualifying. So it seems like for me as a you know casual viewer, mm-hmm. I'm really just going to care about these big split championships because I know the people in the MPL and the rivals are all going to be treating these like the big tournaments. Mm-hmm. Whereas they'll treat the bubble championships, what I've called the, the system of rivals and yeah. pro, uh, they're going to treat the bubble as like integral to keeping their paycheck, mm-hmm. but not like, not like the thing that they view as like a big accomplishment. Yeah. I mean, I don't think it's going to be an accomplishment, but I think that those are the matches that actually matter to them. Yeah, I, I agree. And it is weird to not put real incentives in the arena tournament in in the split championships uh, I, I that decision is pretty boggling to me honestly so for me as a viewer because i have basically no stake on who is in the mpl arrivals mm-hmm. that's that's why i like the big like split championships i get to see who does well in these big fields yeah so for this bubble play What's going to be important to me is how well Wizards can put on a show. Right. Because that's going to be what determines on if I care or not, or if it's good production or not. Yeah, so, you know, like, get Athena involved and run these exactly like the Super Leagues were because people loved watching those and the production value was high and they were cool. I I loved watching those. Yeah. And I had no idea what... I watched the Vintage one a lot. Mm -hmm. I didn't know a thing about Vintage. Right, but then they had people to explain to you. Like, they had good good. commentators and, and... Nothing was at stake in those. No, they they just asked people if they wanted to play. Yeah, and it was people you recognized, and everybody was having fun with it, and the production was good. And so, clearly, something can get made with these small field sort of things. So something can happen with, with this these bubble tournaments. Um, it, it is just so weird to me, because large tournament play has always been the core of competitive magic the gathering winning pro tours is what like pro tour top eights is the metric for the hall of fame Mm -hmm. which by the way does not qualify you for these tournaments anymore (laughs) uh side note from the announcement that's what people like how good is this person i've never heard of you ask someone at your your shop or someone you're talking to and they're like oh he's top eighted you know pro tour a couple times ago like wow he's really good yeah yeah that's right. It's a badge. It's it's a it's a huge distinction. I mean, certainly making it to Rivals League or making it to the MPL is its own thing. But the fact that like, you know, you might get tenth place in one of these arena tournaments where like that is, or even like top you know top sixteen one of these arena tournaments or something because the MPL players and the the Rivals players did really well and you finished fourth of the Challenger players. And then that just puts you automatically into rivals and maybe MPL if you spike your gauntlet. Which is kind of the opposite of the thing that we are hoping for, which is players who are able to consistently succeed, climb, you know, a set of stairs and get to the thing. Because magic is not chess. Right. There's a high degree of 
randomness to the game. Yeah. So you don't want to award spikes as much as you do consistency. Right. Right. Uh, exactly. The the chess player who wins a chess tournament is the best the best player in the room. In the room or there was time. one player who yeah. like had a hard day and they might be better than them but usually. They were the best person at that time. Yes. Yeah. Like that's just how that works. And that's just not how it works in magic and so you need your sample sizes to be larger in order for it to be a meaningful thing and this just i feel like my main criticisms here are they overcorrected on our criticism of the mpl never changing and now there's a ton of churn but they are doing their best to keep it so you do kind of see the same faces around because it's really hard to get out of the mpl or to get out of the rivals league so that is that is kind of a weird thing the fact that the arena tournaments just kind of don't matter for m most of the people playing in them, including all of the MPL and Rivals members, is wild Almost to Almost 100 people. How, many, how big are those events? I don't know exactly how big Because you have to... Being. So there's 4,800 people that have to, like, 7 or 7 win, 7 win to qualify. Yeah. And, and, I mean, there's also plus, other paths oh, to qualify. Because there's, there's Magic Online qualifiers. There's having succeeded in previous Pro Tour. Like, people still have qualifications from those that will queue for these things. Uh, so I, I really have no idea how many people are in, are in these things. But, you know, probably large P, roughly large PT-sized. And the first one is probably going to be bigger than the following ones. But basically 100 of the better players. Well, 72 of the better players. Okay, 72 exactly. Yes. <laughs> of the better well, players. Well, I just want to be precise. Yeah, you're right, you're right. They're just not... Right. They get nothing out of it other than... Just what everyone else gets. Right, right. Except for if you're a challenger, specifically. In the top four. Right. Four people <laughs> in the tournament did a thing and care about what happened. And the rest of the be... people get some money and maybe a qualification to another tournament that very few people care about what happened in it. I wonder what coverage is going to be like if we have like a four rival, two, three MPL, top eight. So we get one challenger and then like... 12th place and 13th place and 15th place just move up into rivals they're like where'd these people come from yeah no no <laughs> and that will happen i think I, I think that's really likely to happen at least once the other thing that this does is a thing that's really bad for tournament integrity which is it wildly mismatches the incentives of some people to in others. a tournament to others and we've seen this in the past with people who are like a match win away from platinum and that creates really weird situations in the last rounds of of Pro Tours that are late in the season. Trying to dodge bribery. Yeah. And, and here, a, a Rivals player who is playing against a challenger who one match win is going to put them in the top four of challengers in this tournament, that challenger has so much at stake in this match that the Rivals player could not possibly care less about. And even if the challenger wins and the rivals are playing against them in the like ascend to MPL gauntlet, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter. You don't have to beat rivals to get into the MPL. You just have to beat the other challenger. Right. They just you just have to have a better record. <laughs> so than them. literally, even if that person that the 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 uh, rival and the challenger are playing against each other in the the split championship, mm -hmm. even if the rival knows that they'll have to come back and play if he loses or yeah. she loses, yeah, it doesn't matter. Right. <laughs> right. In, and in the gauntlets, I think there's also mismatched incentives because there are people who can qualify for the MPL with different records from other people in the tournament. 
So if you're playing a match uh, between either a, an MPL member and a rival or a, a rival and a challenger, depending on which gauntlet you're in, but the person who is already in the higher position, they can't queue for the MPL except with an actual top four finish. The other player can queue with either a top four finish or with being top four in their in their role. So in the, the Rivals Gauntlet, if you are playing a match at the end of the tournament that neither of you can top four between so you, you're playing a match at the end of the tournament between a rivals player and a challenger in the rivals gauntlet. Neither of you can top four with a win, but a win would put you above most of the challengers. That's not really meaningful for the rivals player. They're still only making rivals league. The challenger, that's an MPL slot. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Good lord. I, I think generally tournaments should have people with similar records playing for similar similar things. prizes as much as possible. And certainly whenever you have any threshold thing like pro levels or whatever, then that can get upset and there can be weird incentives. But this system seems designed to create incentive mismatches. Yeah, and it's really disappointing. Yeah. I, I, I just, I don't get the, like, top four challengers make MPL thing. I, I think that that is a, just a miscue based on wanting to create churn that creates it in an artificial way that results in the MPL not necessarily being the 24 players that had the best season previously yeah <sighs> i will say for wizards though this announcement has been more complete than in the last like six yeah we know how it works which is crazy and and some of this stuff is potentially really good you know at least we have a clear we know how to get to rivals it's a silly way <laughs> it seems like but we do know how it happens and the I do like the league play. I think if they do it properly, it could be really fun to watch. And there's some good stuff here. But there's some wacky stuff here, too. Do we know what the next announcements are about? Or we just don't have any clue? Nope. I don't know. Something about organized play in the next couple days. Sure. I Okay. Because I know this, this announcement itself is not complete. They said they were going to announce other things later in the week. And I do not have the faintest idea what those will be about. Nope. Same. Cool. We'll just have to <laughs> wait and find out. Twist ending. Classic Watsy. Got some M. Night Shyamalan stuff coming up. Oh, no. That is rarely good. <laughs> it's really good for the people in the film. Often it's bad for the people watching the film. But every once in a while... <laughs> Hold on. <laughs> I've I've watched enough Watsy films to see <laughs> it's rarely good. Oh, I'm just talking specifically yeah, about yeah, my Shyamalan. Listen, Sixth Sense was excellent. I'll admit to never seeing it. Ah, uh, because I know the it's I too know late the spoiler. Now. Yeah, <laughs> okay. and it actually. I mean, I guess it's hard to say something's excellent where if you know the plot twist, it like makes like, the experience of watching the movie like not really that good. Yeah, I haven't watched Fight Club either because I know the I know the twist there too. Yeah. I mean, Fight Club is still probably worth watching, even if you know the twist, but it is one of the... It's hard for me to watch it now because it has been embraced in such a by people that have such a weird understanding of the, of the movie, movie, just yeah. like completely, completely perpendicular to the, the thing that the movie is actually about. 
So I, I haven't seen it. Yeah, I, I just know the plot twist. That's pretty much it. Well, <laughs> you probably don't actually. Like, I would I, never tell anybody they need to watch Fight Club. Yeah, every time someone offers their interpretation of movie, mm-hmm. like it, it doesn't really matter what it is. I kind of take it with just a grain of salt anyway. Yeah. Just because people have really weird interpretations of films that aren't sometimes even intended to say anything. Sure. Yeah, that makes sense. I, yeah, I don't trust. I have to have somebody prove to me that their opinions are the result of considered thought and like critical engagement. And then once they do that, then I'm willing to like take their thoughts on stuff and really incorporate it into my interpretations and that doesn't mean you have to agree with them but at least no, you can hear them out not. yeah if i know that somebody carefully thinks about stuff then i do want to hear what they think about stuff even if i end up coming out a different way if i know that they you know engage with stuff in a not particularly critical way then it, it's less fun to to talk about yeah films and other art with them that is maybe I don't know if it's judgmental or just a little like no, no, I don't fancy think or whatever. I don't think it's judgmental because it's a lot of films that you like people care about mm-hmm. are deliberately left open to interpretation, so which invites people to discuss them. Mm-hmm. And if you're doing that type of medium, you want to make sure you're enacting on good faith with other people. Yeah, yeah, of course. I don't think it's, like, artsy and judgy to expect people to, like, put in time that you would want to put in. <laughs> right. In order to, like, engage on that level. Like, if we're just watching, whatever, Finding Nemo or who cares. Yeah. Like, we're not going to have a lot to say about it. And it doesn't really matter if you care what I think or not, you know? <laughs> right. And then the, the, the other end of the spectrum is when I'm talking about a movie with somebody and they're like, dude, do you know about the theory where the main character was actually dead the whole time and it's a movie that's not The Sixth Sense? And it's like, <laughs> I, this isn't how I want to talk about movies. But I'm what sorry. if it was all a dream? Yeah. And, <laughs> and then I, this, this isn't it. This is not fun for me. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. It, it's just speculating with extra steps. Right. Not really worth it. <sighs> all right. Well, this is a very long episode. Yeah, we had a lot to talk about, but I think this was a good debut of Lee as the official co-host of Hopefully. the MDG Grand Gas. Hopefully people like me enough and I can come back next week and then the really week after that. if they like you enough. <laughs> oh no! I mean, we're just doing this regardless of community response. Alright. Well, we'll if, if our audience leaves, we'll, we'll find a new one. Oh. I don't think our audience will leave. I think you did a great they're, job. They're pretty cool, cool people. Yeah. I like them. I, I like them as well. Yeah, so to those people, thank you very much for listening. We really appreciate your time. I We definitely went off track a little bit, but I, I think that it was mostly productive and good discussion. I, I don't mind going off track every now and then, just because it's fun. It is fun. Yeah, if you want to find us online, you can head to mtggrindcast.com. If you want to give us some support, we are still on Patreon, patreon.com slash mtggrindcast. At some point, that will not say Chris and Collins on it, but it takes a little time for me to actually get to updating everything. Um, but we definitely would really appreciate the support. If you want to find us on social media, I'm tweeting from at CCR underscore grindcast. Lee, you are also on Twitter. I am. I'm at Lee McLeo. That's really it for us. Yeah. Until next week. We'll do this again, right? I hope so. That's my plan. Okay, great. I'll I'll be here. All right. Um, Yeah, have a great week. Bye.